No, God, we recognize it's a, it's a beautiful day outside. There are many places we could be on a Friday night in spring. And yet as we gather, Lord, it is good that we stop, that we quiet our hearts, that we tune our minds and our attentions toward the sacrifice of Your Son. Lord, we confess there is no better place to be right now than with Your people, reflecting upon Your Son sacrificed not for others' sins, but for our sins. So God, encourage us as we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ. Throughout the evening, uh, as I stand, you go ahead and stand. <laughs> we want to we want to try to stay in a in a uh, mood and an attitude of reflection this evening. So there's going to be a little instruction um, and a lot of scripture and singing this evening. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. 
While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great cloud with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. sorrows what a who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him in a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests 
and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you?
Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Thank you. 
And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Grace. 
cross for life renewed, pardon sin and promise good. Grant us grace to sing your praise around your throne through endless days, ever with the sons of Jesus Christ, we praise your We have to admit, it is the most famous death in human history. No other has aroused such interest, garnered such attention, and fascinated the masses for millennia like the death of Jesus. The Romans crucified thousands in the days of Jesus, and yet we know remarkably little about those other men. Something about the death of this man is different. There's something about it, even today, that demands our attention. If you've tuned in either to NBC or CNN these past few Sunday evenings, you know exactly what I mean. To this day, we still talk about it. Even a day like this, the markets close. Wall Street closes for some reason because of the death of this man. Why? Because, let's be honest, we're talking about a rather modest man. During his life, he never commanded a great army. He never ruled over a mighty empire. He never patented anything. He never published anything. He never proved anything. He amassed no fortune. He had no great family of his own. So then what is it about Jesus? Why do we gather tonight to celebrate this man? For he didn't even appear to make that courageous last stand. He was no Leonidas at Thermopylae. There was none of the apparent bravado that accompanied the brave men at the Alamo. He didn't take to his six-shooters and go out in a blaze of glory like Billy the Kid. Far from it. Jesus, as we've just read, he appears weak. He appears powerless before his enemies, whether he's outmatched or outmaneuvered or simply too cowardly to fight. He seems to give up before the battle's ever begun. Betrayed in the garden, we read of how he immediately raises that white flag. He surrenders, brought before his accusers. He really musters no defense. He spit upon. He struck. He slapped and slapped about like, like some helpless runt before some group of, group of playground bullies. And by the time of his crucifixion, we read he's even too weak to carry his own cross. The beam of his execution, another has to carry it for him. And there he is upon that cross, stripped, while soldiers gamble and while other onlookers gawk. He's hoisted up arms, his feet pinned like a prisoner, naked and bruised, the reviling only continues. So pathetic is this man's case that even the criminals to his left and to his right, they feel emboldened themselves to chime in and add to that chorus of derision. Messiahs 
don't die at the hand of their enemies. Messiahs destroy their enemies. They're not crucified. They conquer. And yet there Jesus hangs. Suffering. Shamed. Utterly broken. One could not seem to paint a clear picture of powerlessness and of weakness and of utter defeat. It's why passers-by, as Sam Connect read from us just a few moments ago, it's why they, they feel the freedom to, to ride him with just complete impunity. Right? They, wagging their heads, taunting him through, through clenched teeth and through foul breath. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. You see, they're making sport of Jesus. They know they've got him now. They have him. For earlier in Jesus' ministry, he had been so bold as to, so audacious as to proclaim to the Jews, yet destroy this temple in three days and I will rebuild it. I will raise it up. Right? What took hundreds, if not thousands of men over 46 years to accomplish, Jesus says he can single-handedly, he can accomplish that in three days. This guy deserves to be mocked for all that brash and blasphemous bravado. He deserves it. He claims supernatural powers. Now look at him hanging there powerless on a cross. Realize that's what the world sees. It's the image of Jesus they see. A charismatic religious revolutionary who threw himself against the wheel of human history only to have it roll back upon him and crush him. But friends, this is exactly where the gospel writers will have us look a bit more deeply. For everything is actually not quite as it seems. For the temple that Jesus spoke of, it wasn't actually a building. It was his body. Because you see, throughout Jesus' ministry, the Jews wanted a sign. They wanted some proof that this Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Time and time again, Jesus gave them such proof. But due to their petty self-interest and their greed and their lust for power, they would reject each sign, each message he gave to them. And the irony is that as Jesus hung on that cross, they offered those taunts under the misguided belief that they had orchestrated Jesus' demise. And so secured their power, their precious temple worship. When in reality, by destroying his body, they were only fulfilling that promise that Jesus would do away with that temple once and for all. And so ensure their own demise. In destroying him, the Jews were in fact destroying themselves. They thought they had outmaneuvered Jesus. When in reality, they played right into his hands such that by 70 AD, the temple would be destroyed. And there would be no other sacrifice for sins. But realize this isn't about the settling of human scores. Not at all. It was about the settling once and for all of human sin. Of human sin. For the end of the old covenant, that temple was the place of sacrifice. The place of atonement. It was where God would meet with his people and reconcile them. And yet there on the cross, Jesus, his body became that temple. His body became the place where God would meet with his people. His body became that sacrifice. And hanging on that shameful cross, the sinless one, Jesus Christ, put sin to death once and for all. Realize it's not that Jesus couldn't come down from the cross. It's that he wouldn't come down from the cross. What was perceived as weakness, was in fact one of the greatest feats of strength and of power that the world would ever witness. For there it is a rest. Do you remember what he said? Matthew 26, 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? You see, Jesus wasn't going to climb up upon that cross and then hop off like some divine magic trick. 
He could have done that. It may have impressed many. It may have even silenced his accusers. But scripture would not have been fulfilled. And sin would still reign. He could have, with a mere nod, called thousands of angels to his side. They could have laid waste to Jerusalem, turning it to ash. They were waiting merely for one word, one command from their king. All he had to do, utter one word, and those legions would have been at his side. But that word would never come. Because scripture needed to be fulfilled. And he needed to put an end to sin. Jesus came with a purpose. To fulfill the scriptures and thus to do away with sin. And so he climbed upon that cross in apparent weakness. And he hung there with those angels awaiting that command. He hung there suffering and enduring the shame and the scorn and a colossal power of self-restraint to know that you could rid yourself of such horror and such agony and yet refuse to do so. Friends, that's a love you and I can't fathom. That's a power you and I can't fathom. That's a self-restraint we can't fathom. It's why we don't gather tonight at a temple because he is the temple. It's why we don't gather tonight to offer sacrifices because that fateful day Jesus became that final sacrifice. It's why we don't gather at a tomb or visit some gravestone because he's not there. He's not there. It's what makes his death so different. It's why his death demands our attention because it accomplished something. It accomplished something. Our deaths, they merely mark the end of our lives. They accomplish, in that sense, nothing. His death marked the end to sin's reign and brought in life everlasting, right? It accomplished, his death accomplished everything. Do you know tonight? Do you know this one? who endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that you and I wouldn't have to. You can, by accepting him, by embracing him, turning from your sin, and trusting in this one who has put an end to sin through his death on the cross. I want you to see, Jesus did, in fact, make a last stand. It simply wasn't against petty Jewish rulers or or paranoid Roman governors. It was, in fact, against the principalities and powers of Satan himself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. I hope you see tonight that it it is because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God that he refused to come down from that cross. Shrouded In weakness, even there, Jesus reigned in glorious power. It's the meaning of the cross. It's the message of Christianity. It's why we celebrate his death like no other. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, it's often hard for us to comprehend the significance of that death. To comprehend what power, what restraint, what love would have compelled Jesus to keep his mouth closed when he so could easily could have put an end to all of his suffering. God, we pray that as we leave tonight, we pray that in just a moment as we reflect upon his death together through the Lord's Supper, God, we pray that we would, in some small way, have a greater appreciation for you, our Savior, for the depth of our own sin, and for the length to which you would go to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, to close our time, I want us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You know, on that fateful week of, of Jesus' crucifixion, 
Jesus gathers disciples together for, for a Passover meal. They were expecting something grand. They were expecting Jesus to overthrow those rulers and powers. And he would, just not those rulers and powers they anticipated. And there, at that last Passover meal, Jesus predicted his death and predicted their betrayal. And so even now, as we celebrate this meal, this, this communion, we have a picture of the gospel, of the one that we've rejected too. And yet he's been rejected for us, his body broken, his blood being spilt on our own behalf. It's a reminder that God is faithful to his promises, right? Jesus has become indeed that final sacrifice for sin. That's what we commemorate. That's what we remember. That's even what we celebrate solemnly tonight. So if you're a member of this church or if you are a baptized believer and you're a member of another evangelical church that preaches the same gospel you've heard preach here tonight, then we would welcome you to participate with us. Join in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you're just visiting, you're not sure if you should partake, feel no embarrassment. The elements will pass us by. Just let them pass you by and reflect on some of the things we've heard about tonight. And for those with uh, gluten sensitivity, just note that the bread is gluten-free. We read in 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So as we prepare to partake in just a moment, let's take a, a moment now and just silently go to the Lord and let's confess our sins as part of our own preparation. Let's confess our sins to him. And then in just a moment, I'll lead us in a, a prayer of confession. God, we come before you tonight and we do reflect, we do pause. We confess we don't do that enough. And the hustle and bustle of our days, Lord, in every spare moment, we grab often an electronic device and we fill ourselves, not always, but often with entertainment, with diversion. So often what we most need to do is quiet ourselves before you, reflect upon who you are, Lord. We confess we don't do that enough. We confess that we are sinners. We confess that our hearts, even on a night like tonight, can be callous and cold. Lord, so indifferent to the truths of the gospel. Oh God, how we can gather around this meal, a picture of your son forsaken for us. And too often we're unmoved. God, we confess how quick we are to, to run to sin. In the midst of difficulty or trial, we don't run to your word. We look for the world to comfort us when we know that only you, our creator, can comfort us. We confess these things. Oh God, in these ways and in so many more, we confess how we evidence that our lives and our rule is often what matters over yours. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us to hate our errors. You would cleanse us from our sins. You would forgive them for the sake of your dear son. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever we confess our sins, it's good to remind us of, of the promises of Scripture. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that sacrifice of atonement for sins. Uh, at this point, the usher is going to come forward. They're going to pass out the elements as they do. Um, as you take them, just hold them. Just wait. And uh, as they're passed out, uh, we will sing together, When I Survey. Let's sing.
1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's now take the bread and eat together in reminder of that body broken for us. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Let's drink in hope and anticipation of that day when we will gather around the table of our King. God, as we partake of your supper, we're reminded of that sacrifice for sin. We're reminded of how your spirit indwells us, how it equips us, how we even see this visible picture of the gospel, and it should encourage us to flee from sin, to trust in you, to run to you. How it points us forward to that day when there will be no more need for Lord's suppers. For we will be around the table of our King. We will behold you face to face. There will be no more sorrow and no more sin. Oh God, point us in hope toward that day. Lord, give us joy as we labor, as we work, as we love. Lord, as we celebrate this Easter weekend, the reminder that you have once and for all paid the sacrifice of our sin. Oh God, encourage our hearts anew and afresh, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand and let's sing the last stanza of When I Survey Together.
as you stand. Our closing words come from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of His eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.